So, uh, you know, New Testament starts with, with Matthew. All right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John uh, is, is how that starts. Those are the Gospels, and then the book of Acts, and then it starts going into Paul's letters. But we'll, we'll start digging through them all together, and you'll have an idea of what's going on. So the New Testament um, is also, you know, the New Covenant. And uh, um, it, it, uh, a covenant is people, uh, it's a, a covenant between two parties. It's an agreement between two parties. And, and, um, and so this is the covenant that we have between us and, and God. Um, Jesus is the supreme unifying truth of both the Old and the New Testament. And he's also the preeminent person in the Bible. But we've talked about that a lot. But but Jesus is the theme of the Bible. That's it's all about Jesus. And and uh, if you've come here on the weekends, you'll hear me pointing to it all the time in the Old Testament. How many things are pointing at Jesus and and what's going on with him? So we look up at a lot of old stories. So um, most of you know you're aware we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. And we'll start by doing a survey of the New Testament, and then most likely we'll do a little survey of the Old Testament, and then. By then, we'll probably be ready to go back into our verse by verse through the rest of the Scripture. We're, we finished Numbers chapter 3 right before the hurricane hit. And uh, I, have, I know where it is, so I can get back there. Uh, and uh, we can get back there. But, you know, so what unifies the Old and the New Testament is it's, it's all about Jesus uh, and, and, and how important that is. And, you know, way back in the Old Testament from, from the fall in Genesis 3.15, we, we see the, the crimson thread of redemption that works its way through all of the Old Testament all the way to the cross, and it all ties this stuff together. Um, but, uh, but we'll take some time to look just at the New Testament together. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the way I like to think about it is, and it's often said this, that the new is concealed in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. So the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. It's all in there. And the Old Testament is really revealed, comes to life in the New Testament. So as you get them put together, you really get a picture of everything that's taking place in the redemptive plans of God. And so there's some things you need to know about the New Testament. So, um, so and some terms that you want to get. So, um, you know, the, the Bible was, it's a revelation to us. Not It's beyond the book of Revelation, it's a revelation. And revelation is... Um, the biblical position that God revealed truths otherwise unknowable. So um, God reveals stuff, uh, things to us in the Bible that we wouldn't know otherwise. This is how it's revealed to us. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So as God has revealed himself to us um, in, in nature and in the way things are working and in the Scripture. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So God was revealing who he was through prophetic folks throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Exodus 34.1, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. And uh, sorry, I can never read about that without thinking about that Mel Brooks movie. Where, 
Anyway, uh, so the Lord revealed himself further by actually writing by, you know, with his finger on the stone tablets and what was going on. Hebrews 1-2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So God has been making himself known to us since the beginning. And he's done it in lots of different ways. Um, he's done it through the prophets. He's done it through Jesus. He's done it, you know, with the fingers on the tablets. We have the, we have the recorded word of God. And we, we can see him at work uh, around us if we have our eyes open and are, you know, uh, willing to take it in and, uh, you know, see that God's at hand. So, so things have been revealed to us. We also need to know inspiration. And uh, and so the Bible is the inspired Word of God, inspired and inerrant. We believe it to be true and factual and having it all together. And uh, it was inspired. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 said, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Peter one twenty one. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so um, the Bible is the inspired Word of God. God inspired the book. It had human authors, but they were all inspired by God. So it's not a man-made book. It's a God-breathed book. The Scripture is, the, the Word is actually God's breath. And so that's one of the reasons we hold it to be so precious and dear and valuable and why we're constantly encouraging you to read it is this is how, see, this is how we know God um, is, you know, I, I, some of the other things, but it's always through the Scripture. He revealed Himself to us through the, the inspired Word of God. Then you need to understand as you look through the New Testament the idea of illumination Illumination, and illumination is the work of the Holy Spirit to help us grasp the truth of God's Word. So the Spirit actually illuminates the Scripture to us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same one, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand him. Uh, he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So, this is really important. When you come to know Jesus... We've talked about this. When you give your life to Jesus uh, and you ask Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, the Holy Spirit then comes into our lives as well. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, among other things, 
uh, he, he leads us and He guides us and He teaches us, but He illuminates the Scripture to us. Um, if you've ever heard me say this, I, I may, if you haven't, I'll encourage you to say it again. When you sit down to read the Scripture, I often will pray, just like the Holy Spirit, would you please uh, show me today what you want me to see as I read your Word? Because um, that's what He does. He illuminates the Scripture. It's, it's, see, that's what sets the Bible apart from everything else. Um, the Bible, because it's God's breath and it's illuminated by the Holy Spirit at work within it, is alive in ways that, that um, are, you know, amazing. And, and the, um, the mind that's not spiritually born yet can't see it. But once you come to Christ, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal things to you and you can see it and it comes alive. I remember reading the Bible before I knew Jesus or attempting to. I don't know if you, any of you had that experience. That was my experience. You know, the, uh, you know I, I tell you bits of my story here and there, but when I was, um, I was 19, uh, and I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home uh, and hadn't even heard about Jesus until I was 18, and I only heard sort of, I didn't want to hear about it, about him. Uh, there was somebody in my dorm room, my roommate had invited somebody from some organization who wanted to come over and... Sorry, there's weird noise. I was really trying to ignore it, and then it was one on a long time. Okay, so I, anyway, so and, and I heard him sort of telling the gospel, but I, I didn't take it in. I didn't want to hear it. And then I had met... Um, I was working in Midland, Michigan on a power plant, uh, and I had met this uh, this guy at work who, uh, I think I've told you the story, it was in the summer, my second summer there when I met him, and um, it was lunchtime, and, and my situation was, so I was working on this job, and it, uh, there, I didn't live there, I, I had lived in different spots in Michigan, but it was off break for, so I rented a little room for $7 a night, and uh, it was a little bed, that's what it was, and I, I didn't have kitchen or anything, it was just a plate to sleep, it was like one of those weird houses you see on a horror movie, <laughs> and there was just, this lady had a whole bunch of rooms that she rented, anyway, seven bucks a night, you couldn't beat it, so I stayed there, uh, and uh, and so I would go, I would get up in the morning, I would go to work, and, and I didn't take a lunch or anything, because I didn't have the facilities, and I would just make it through the day until work was over at like three thirty, four o'clock, and then I would go to Pizza Hut, where they had a buffet, all you can eat for four dollars, and I would put a 24-hour hurt on that buffet for $4. I would eat so I could make it 24 hours until I got back. So, um, but one day at lunch, it's a long story to tell you this story. I don't want to forget why he went down this bunny trail. Anyway, I'm there sitting at lunch one day and just kind of hanging out and not eating or anything, and this guy sees that I wasn't eating anything. His name was Bob Miller, and he says, uh, I have two sandwiches. Would you like one? Of course I'd like a sandwich. Thank you. So, he gave me his extra sandwich. Well, at that point, he was my friend because uh, I could be bought with a sandwich pretty easy. Still can. So anyway, and what was funny was after that, he always brought me a sandwich, but he always had three sandwiches after that. So I always kind of chuckled that the first one was the real sacrifice. <laughs> the rest was just like, you know, make an extra one while you're there and bring it in. And, and uh, I was still happy for it. But we became friends, and he started talking. He was a very solid Christian man, and he, he, was, uh, he was a married guy, had two kids. I was very rough. Um, I, I, he, that's just had to be a work of God that he befriended me at all. 
Uh, and he, you know, he would bring me lunch, and he actually began to invite me every now and again to his home for dinner, which was kind of a scary thing for their family, I'm sure. Uh, I was rough. And, uh, but he was just always very kind to me and talked to me, and there was this incident on this job site that I was in where um, it was a rough thing, and I actually almost um, died, and I had some encounter. Let's just put it that way. I'll get, I don't have time to tell you that whole story. But anyway, after that whole thing had happened and, and I was alive, I, he, he said, come over to my house. And we sat and he talked to me all night um, after dinner. From 7 or 8 after dinner till about midnight, he explained the gospel to me like I'd never heard it before. And um, he was very thorough and he was very good and I found it very interesting. And it was getting late and we had to work in the morning and stuff. And I was going to have to go and we were getting tired and it had been this exhausting day. And I, I remember right around midnight, he asked me, you know, are you ready to ask Jesus into your heart? And I said, no. I thought about it, but I said, no. And the reason I told you, the reason I said no was I could not figure out how they had any fun, Christians. If, if he could have explained to me how I was going to have fun still, I probably would have bought in. But uh, I couldn't see it. And so I said, no. And he handed me his Bible. His, I have it at home. Uh, great big, thick King James Bible, about this big. He handed me that Bible. And it was his Bible, and he said, will you, will you take this? And I said, sure, I'll take that. And he had it highlighted. He had it for years. I had to really, I mean, looking back on it, what he was giving me was so amazing. But I, at the time, it was just, okay, whatever. And uh, I took that Bible, and that Bible stuck with me from that point in time until, you know, for, for the next season of my life, lots of things were a mess. Uh, but that Bible kind of hung out in the trunk of my car. And so it, it stuck with me. A lot of, I lost a lot of stuff, you know, here, there, moving all around. But the Bible's there. Every now and again, finally getting to the store, I would pick that Bible up, and I'd think, okay, I'm going to read this Bible. Just every now and again. That, that seems like a good thing to do, because life was a mess, and I, I sort of had that understanding. And I would pick it up, and just like most people would, I would open it up to Genesis 1-1. And uh, it, was a, it was a big old thick King James Bible. And I'd start reading it, and I'd been like, this, I don't get it pretty quickly. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that. And I would, yeah, whatever. And uh, that would be that, and I wouldn't see it again for a while. Once I came to Christ, it was amazing how different the Bible was. And at first, I didn't understand it. I was like, this isn't boring at all. This is amazing. This is fascinating. I couldn't wait. I was just really into it. And later on, I realized what had happened now with the Holy Spirit. He was opening up the Scripture to me, and it began to make sense in ways that it couldn't before. And so it's very true what happens here that that once that happens, it begins to make sense to us in different ways, and that's a very powerful thing. In John sixteen thirteen, it says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. So we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us uh, understand the Bible. Well, there's lots of ways we need to learn to understand the Bible, but He helps us to sort of make it come alive. I love that about the Bible, how it comes alive all the time still for me. I I hope you never get tired of reading the Bible because you never get it all. You know what happens, I think? This is what's supposed to happen. When you really study and read the Bible, you realize that when you start learning more and knowing more, the big thing that you realize is you, you don't know all that much. And it digs you back into it again because God is infinite and we, we can't fully know Him. There's a mystery to God that is part of our faith that that's wonderful. And, and so we never want to narrow him down so much like we think we can. We'll talk about that this weekend too. Um, then there's application. That's an amen. I'll take that. Thank you. 
Uh, so there's an application that we have with this scripture. Uh, we, we need to apply the word of God to our lives on a daily basis. Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourselves to God as um, one approved, a workman that does not be, need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So um, we, it, that scripture tells us that we're to be reading this and taking it in, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to us, and then we're to be applying it to our lives. That it's not just, uh, you know, oh, that's a good, interesting book. It's, a, it's, a, it's how we're supposed to live, and we're to be applying what we learn to our lives on a daily basis, and the Holy Spirit will help us with that as well. Now, uh, another thing you need to know as you, as you begin to do a survey of the New Testament is that most of the New Testament is written in Greek. And the, the thing about the Greek language is the biggest difference that we have when we're reading it, because so all of what we have is, unless you, how many of you here um, read Greek? <laughs> okay, so I, not, I, don't even, I don't read Greek either. Um, but what I do understand about Greek, because I've studied now for years and years and years, is what you have to understand about the original language is that the Greek um, use different tenses on their verses, than on their verbs than we do. So the, the tense of their verbs are different than ours. And, and what that does is it can change the meaning of something very significantly in the process. Because in English, um, the tense of our verb mainly refers to the time of the action, present, past, or future. Um, but in Greek, the, the, the tense has some bearing on uh, that, but um, it really has more to do with the kind of action that's going on than whether it was past, present, or future. And so I'm only saying all that because I, I don't think you need to understand Greek. You, what you need to understand is when you read Bible... And, you, and, and so you need to be reading it. You need to be taking it in. The Holy Spirit's illuminating it to you. But you, you have to understand that when you're really starting to dig in, you've got to sometimes examine a verse a little deeper. When we talked about studying the Bible in our uh, How to Study the Bible course, one of the things was you, the importance of using a commentary, um, several commentaries, and Bible dictionaries is generally what you're doing when you look into a commentary is you're checking, especially in the New Testament, the tense um, to make sure that it still says what you think it's saying because sometimes the way we translated it gives it what appears to be a slightly different meaning than what it has. So you just have to know that that's in there. And uh, and sort of, it doesn't impact it all the time, but but you need to be aware of that process. Uh, so between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a period of silence where um, we don't have any uh, inspired Scripture from the, the end of Malachi, which we think was the last um, book to be written in the Old Testament. Um, then, then there's this period of four or 500 years, and I, I think I listed it on your notes, but it starts you know, with the Persian period and the exile was going on there, and then the Greeks were in charge of everything, and... Um, then what's known as the Hebrew independence period was there, and then the Romans are um, have come and taken everything over at 63 B.C., and they're there through 70 A.D., and we, we start getting, well, 40 or 50 A.D., we start hearing again um, the gospel, the Bible is inspired once again and, and starts to be written again as the Lord directs the apostles to start writing some stuff down. 
because they hadn't. So, uh, you, and people wonder what was going on. The um, so when Jesus, the the early church, the apostles all thought Jesus was going to come right back. They had no context of when he said, "I'm I'm going to come back for you." That they, they expected that to happen imminently, and they had no idea that it would be two thousand years. So it's already been that plus. And so initially they were just going around and teaching and preaching, but after the Lord tarried thirty years or so, they all went. We're getting old. We better we better write these things down. And so all of a sudden, and the, the Gospels were written, and Paul started writing letters in 40 or 50 A.D. to the church. We have those things for us, and so we have the Scripture. Most of the New Testament then would all be buttoned back in by about 90 A.D. when John finished writing the Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There are some books that are written after that that we don't include in canon, and most of them are the ones people always want to toss in Oh, these were these. Why aren't these included in the scripture? They were written well after that time and not included in the um, canon of scripture by the early church. So you need to know about that. There was a quiet period um, from Malachi until uh, the gospels start written again, and the sort of a prophetic silence until John the Baptist shows up. So John the Baptist is a forerunner, and he begins speaking in, and he's actually. When you read Malachi, it tells us that John the Baptist is going to come. We just don't know how long it's going to be. Okay, then um, there's three groups in particular you need to know about as you start to read the New Testament. Uh, then sort of the uh, religious group of the day, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. And, and they, were the, um, they all held positions of authority <clears throat> over the Jewish people at that time. Uh, we read about in the Gospels the Sadducees and the Pharisees quite often uh, as Jesus was in conflict with them uh, quite a bit. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were sort of the ruling class of Israel. Um, they were s- similar in a lot of ways, but some significant differences as well. Uh, the Sadducees would have been the aristocrats, um, people with a lot of wealth, and because of their wealth they had very powerful positions. Um, and, and so as part of the Sadducees would have been the chief priests and the high priests, uh, and they had the majority of the, the seats in the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And what they did was they worked very hard to keep the peace by constantly sort of agreeing with all the decisions that Rome handed down um, in that process because Rome was in control at that time. And so the Sanhedrin, although part of the religious ruling body, were really more concerned about politics than religion. And uh, and they were just trying to keep the peace so they could keep their money and keep things going in the process. So um, they uh, that's kind of the Sadducees. They the, the Sadducees believed in Scripture, the written word, not the oral tradition, which was actually to their uh, benefit because the Pharisees not only believed in the written word but this really long oral tradition that had gone on as well. The Sadducees didn't believe that. But the Sadducees also didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe that there was any sort of afterlife whatsoever. They denied the existence of a spiritual world. And so that's why they were sad, you see. That's an old joke, but you always have to use it. The Pharisees were kind of middle class business people. Um, and so they were more in contact with the average person. 
uh, they were held in much higher esteem by the regular people than the um, the Sadducees were. They uh, they accepted the the written word of God. That was that would have been the Old Testament at that point in time. But all they had all this mess that went along with it. This oral tradition that goes on. Um, um, but they believed that God controlled things. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in an afterlife. Um, they believed in the existence of uh, angels and demons. And um, and yet it's funny, with all the differences they have with the Sadducees, they set most of them apart so that together they could cooperate and go after Jesus because they were all threatened by Jesus. See, And they were threatened by Jesus. The saddest thing is, when you, when you read the Scripture, it's pretty apparent they'd figure out he actually was, what he was doing was from God. They just didn't like it. And so their, their ultimate rejection of him is a rejection of the way God came to do things. And that's really scary, but that's what happens uh, in the process. And the Herodians, they, they're actually a political party that supported the Herods as king. And... Uh, they didn't really get along with either of those groups, but again, they got together because uh, the Pharisees joined up with the Herodians because they wanted to get rid of Jesus too because the Herodians saw him as a threat to uh, Herod and and in, into their position of authority as well. So most of that, what's really sad about that is you'll see them all get together to try to get rid of Jesus because they don't want to have him change things because that's what he showed up to do. So anyway, that's a, a sort of an overview of what's happening. Like I said, if you will start reading the New Testament, six chapters a day, you'll, you'll stay way ahead of me in the process. We're going to do a little more intro next week, and we'll start getting into uh, Matthew and the Gospels, and, and then uh, just, to, like I said, overviews of those things so you can have a good understanding of how it all comes together, what it's all about. That's enough for today. If you're watching online, thanks for watching. Come and see us when you get a chance. We will see you soon.